episode of get a good start find us on facebook instagram and youtube at get a good start visit us on getagoodstart.com for the accompanying blog to this podcast which provides additional information about my guests links to the information we discuss and ways you can put into action what we talk about here on the show so you can get a good start this week's guest is an authority in business strategy and has successfully built several multi-million dollar enterprises from the ground up he is considered the startup guru and speaks internationally on topics of entrepreneurship, innovation, and business growth. Aside from being a serial entrepreneur, he taught entrepreneurship at the prestigious University of Virginia, both in the School of Engineering and in the Darden School of Business's MBA program. After hearing about his vast experiences and learning about his accomplishments, I had to have him on the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Professor Douglas Muir. Thanks for joining me, Douglas. Yes, Scott, it's my pleasure. So I'm going to get right into it and ask the question I ask every guest. When you think about the phrase getting a good start, you're an entrepreneur, you're a professor, uh, you're definitely a self-starter. You must have a process behind your success. What is a good start for you? So let's start from the beginning. In the beginning, um, uh, I did not have good starts and it was a big stumbling uh, until I finally got a mentor. And once once I got a mentor in business, because uh, I'm not sure if your 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 uh, viewers know I'm a, a retired airline captain. So what does a retired airline captain know about business? Uh, but I am an aerospace engineer, so I'm pretty good at the number part. Um, I, so a good start. I would always tell this to um, my pilot friends. They're always like, how did you do it? Right. I, I think that's the question. How did you do it? And I would always say, I wish I would have termed the phrase, just do it. Just start. People say, I got to go to college for this. I got to read this book. I got to do that. You don't just start. Start off by learning the industry that you're interested in, learning the competition. And then from there, build a better mousetrap. I have never invented anything that doesn't already exist. I just make it better. Seth Godin says to be a great runner, you don't have to read all the books on running. You don't have to study different sneakers. You don't have to, you don't have to call and talk to all the trainers in the world. You just have to get out of the house every day and run for 10 minutes. And after 30 days of doing that, you're a runner, right? And I think uh, you're, you're, I what you're it. saying is about just, just doing it is certainly 90% of the problem, right? You just have to get up and that start. Is. Looking back at all your accomplishments, I'm sure there are times when you said, boy, if... I, I knew then what I know now. And if I could invent something new like a time machine and send you back, way back to the beginning after you got out of school, and you could tell yourself a piece of advice from all your experience, what would you tell yourself to give yourself a little bit better start in your careers? I'd have to say, and you know, my students know this, this generation knows this, you have to do what you love. I was an airline pilot for 18 years and I just really, disliked it. It was a very boring job, believe it or not. Even flying big airplanes is a very boring job. It was cool, but it was very boring. I remember when I started my first company, which was a telephone company in 1996, pre-cell phones, if you will. It was the most exhilarating experience I've ever had becoming an entrepreneur. And so I would have to say that you have to do what you love. 
if you do what you love, I do believe, as the book says, there's a book out there, do what you love and the money will follow. It will follow. Mm -hmm. I mean, my God, I own a hedge fund now. Think about that. I, I went from airline pilot to professor to entrepreneur to hedge fund owner. I mean, how does that even compute? And it's because, A, I just started. I just started. I studied. I found out what was missing. I made a better mousetrap. And I'm doing what I love. I, I had someone say to me the other day, I'm in New York right now doing a merger uh, with a company on Wall Street. And someone said to me, Mike, I don't know anybody who works harder than you. I'm like, this is not work. What do you like to do? I like hiking. I like fishing. I like camping. I like building companies and I like selling them. <laughs> That's what I like to do, right? So this is not work. Like you have learned, Scott, if you do what you love, you're not working. Right. That's that's the key to success. I believe that. Playing off of that, and I'm glad you brought that up about you being an airline pilot and then leaving that. I heard your story about the international cause cost you so much, so you started buying minutes in bulk and you, you created a calling card industry to the other airline pilots who had to call home or spending a lot of money. And so you found the problem and you solved it, right? I think yes. what a lot of students are having the problem with nowadays, because everybody's got to be laser focused, right? Everybody's got to know what they're going to do 10 years from now. And I think they have a lot of trepidation going into college. And, in, and even when they're in college, they're like, I picked this. I don't really know if I want to do this. You've made leaps from airline pilot, like you said, to entrepreneur, restaurateur. You've done all these different things. What advice could you give graduating college students or even students who are just starting in college? to put their mind at ease. If, if they're not really in the thing they're, they want to do, it's okay. What, what kind of advice would you offer based on your experience? You know, that's a great question. And that's one thing that I really respected a lot about uh, Mr. We call him Mr. Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson at the university of Virginia. So he would never call. We're not allowed to call um, university of Virginia, a campus. It was grounds, grounds for learning. You were never a senior. You were a fourth, year, third year, because you never were a senior in learning. It was all learning. Do you know at the University of Virginia, you can create your own degree. You could hodgepodge everything together and just create a degree. How cool is that? I had students in the engineering school that were taking my uh, startup operations for entrepreneurs or presentation strategies for entrepreneurs class from nursing school. From, from, from medical school, from law school. It was truly amazing. And when you mix that kind of demographics together with engineers and lawyers and business people, the stuff that they came up with was truly amazing. So to answer your question is this, I would tell my students as I do, you have to look at everything. So I say to them, if you did not have to worry about money, what would you do? And I just I did that in in your son's class. A uh, little self disclosure: Scott's son's in my in my uh, class that I do at Deep Ball High School in Wayne, New Jersey. And and so I said, what would you do if you didn't have to work for a living? And people will say, uh, I'd be a boater or uh, I'd like to drive a yacht, or I'd like to do this. I, and I'm like, okay, let's start a company by doing that. Can you imagine? Can you imagine doing this for a living? Can you, and they're like, no, how could you do this? And then slowly as the course evolves, they're like, oh my God, oh my God, I think I could do this. Because they're trying something, right? What would you do if you did not have to worry about money? 
I would do this, what I'm doing now, help others, teach others, and then do mergers and acquisitions with my hedge fund. You know, I wonder with all the businesses that you started, what was the hardest lesson you had to learn? Because I'm sure you had as many failures as you had successes and you had to go through a lot of learning. But if there was one thing that you said, this was the toughest thing I had to swallow when starting your own businesses, what would that one thing be? Failure. So, um, and employees, those are the two things. And the failure came from bad decision-making, i.e. me and the employees that I hired in the beginning. That was it. There's no, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind. At one time, um, I had over 7,000 employees worldwide, but my first business, I hired family, friends, and fools, and it was just, it was bad. And so what I learned uh, about employees um, was that I could find a specific niche. Let me give you an example. Um, the, I, I had this, this woman who worked for me. I found her on a treadmill in a gym, which was pretty cool. And she, I hired on as data entry. And she said, um, I was pulling her into my office because she was so bad at data entry. And I was going to fire her. And I said, Lauren, if you didn't have to work for a living, what would you do? She goes, I would help organize people's lives. And I'm like, at this time, I was hiring five people a week. I mean, it was out of control, my expansion. And I needed to have some separation from people and organization. And I hired her in that position. She stayed with me for 15 years. When she retired, she was a millionaire. And, and she now uh, helps underprivileged children. She does great work. But what happened was I came up with a test, like almost like a Myers-Briggs test, but for business. And now I give it to my top management people because that's who, who I deal with. And when I did that to her, it said, keep her as far away from data entry, monotonous stuff as you possibly can. <laughs> so I had the right person on the bus, but I had her in the wrong seat. Failure, you have to be able to take, and you have to be able to hear people say, your baby is ugly, meaning your business. And you have to be able to let go and move or else it's just gonna suck you down and uh, you're never gonna be able to recoup. So you, you, got, you, gotta, you gotta move fast, failure hurts, um, but get up and go, don't stop, don't stop. And employees, 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 employees. There's A employees, B employees, C employees. The A employees make a lot of money, they're 10% of your people. B employees, they come in on time, they go home on time, they take their vacations, they stay with you for 30 years, they're good people, but that's all. You try to make them A's, but you can't. The C's terminate as fast as possible and move on. Professor, with all the people you did hire, and when you do that and you invite them to work with you, you're investing your own money and time into these folks. If all resumes are equal, right? What's this particular uh, quality or value you see in someone that says, yeah, this is the guy I want on my team. This is the woman who's gonna make my team that much better. What's one of those qualities you look for outside of the resume? You know, this, this company I have now has the best employees I've ever had. They're all A players. I could never, ever say that, ever, right? These people are so unbelievable. And you know what their characteristic is? A, they feel as if they own the company. Why? Because I gave them all units in the company. Right? Mm -hmm. And I share with them. I mean, really, how much money do I need? I share with them. 
So that's the first thing. The second thing is I get out of their way. I am never by far the smartest guy in the room. I just, no one can outwork me, right? As you and I had discussed before we started this interview, no one can outwork me. Mm. It's just, it's not going to happen. And I hire very smart, dedicated people. And all of them are like mini me's running around, but I make sure that they have a family life. You cannot burn out your people. If you burn out your people, that is a disaster because then they start moaning, complaining, it becomes a cancer and it starts eating away at the business. So you have to make sure that you get them on the right track, you treat them well, but all of them treat my company, the Family Business Fund, as if it's their own. That is the key. And, and uh, that's, that's what works for employees, best employees, A players. How do you pick that out of somebody from an interview? How can you see that? So, so um, it's the interview process, and that's a great question. So I rarely have seen a bad resume. So I see the resume. Um, once the resumes get to my desk, right, at my level, depending on what we're hiring, uh, I review it. Then I call them in for an initial. So the initial is they're going to talk to their department head, right? Mm -hmm. And they're going to make sure that they get along. And then if the department head likes them, they move them on to me, right? Or they'll have them take the test first. Normally they're going to take the test. And that's the Myers-Briggs test I was telling you about, but right. for business. And once they take the test, they see if the test matches the qualifications of what we're looking for. And I have to go back and I call it the Lauren Sameo test, right? She was terrible at data <laughs> entry, but she was the best person that ever worked for me. And she organized my life and it was fantastic, right? Once the test is completed and we put the right person on the right bus, now we're putting them in the right seat. Then they come to me and I just kind of talk to them and hang out with them. I always hire the the CFO, the president, the COO, compliance, if I need a compliance officer and the attorneys, and then the accountant. And I let everything else flow down from them. So I do the top level and that's the way I do it. Resume, interview with department heads, and then I go with the test and then they come to me. That's how I do it. So I had a captain say to me once I was interviewing with, I think it was Northwest Airlines before they became Delta many, 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 many years ago. And they said, um, the captain goes, you know what I'm looking for? Can I fly with you for nine hours? Think about it. That's a small cockpit. You yeah. got to get along with this guy. If you're going across the ocean in the middle of the night, you know. Considering the future entrepreneurs that may be listening, what piece of advice would you give them when they say, you know, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to learn what I need to learn. Now I'm going to go out and start my own business. What's the one golden piece of advice they should know about starting their own business? The person who knows the numbers wins. So, and I'll give you an example. The first business I started, I had an in-house accountant and I sold that to an AT&T company. And then I took that money and I bought a train station in Charlottesville, Virginia and started a franchise restaurant. Uh, we ended up building 39 and selling it to a private equity group. I had a outside entity build my business plan. I did not know the numbers. When September 11, 2001 came, we went from 179,000 to 97,000 a month. I was 
crushed. Um, I didn't understand what cost of goods sold were. I didn't understand um, what the average expense should be for a, a casual dining restaurant. I knew nothing. I was a guy who came around, slapped backs and kissed babies. And before you know it, I hired the CPA because something was just really off. And my cost of goods were 47% when they should be 25%. Uh, cash was missing. Uh, the inventory was way off. I mean, I was literally days away from, from going under and it was my employees stealing from me, right? It, now, no one can go to the bathroom without me knowing exactly how much that cost me. I know every, every number in every one of my companies. I have, I'm a spreadsheet king, right? And so you have to protect the business. And the way you protect the business is through the numbers, right? You need to know your industry and you need to know how to employ, uh, employ people, but it's a, without the numbers, without the cash flow, the fat lady sings, the game's over, right? And, uh, you know, I had to close that business for a while. And then I reopened it up four months later, but it was a disaster. Taxes weren't being paid. Not, it, was a, it was a disaster. So I'm telling them now to start a company, know the numbers in the industry that you're in. Be a good study. When I studied this hedge fund that I'm in right now, I studied the underlying asset, which is called merchant cash advances. And I literally would call up other merchant cash advance wholesalers and talk to them about being a client of theirs. And I just would play this role that I was a business that needed money. <laughs> and I learned them and I learned them and I studied them. And I found out these they were doing things wrong and I just made a better mousetrap again. And that's how I did it. In all the businesses you have, if you read professor's resume and his bio and it reads like a success story, right? One after the next, after the next. And in real life, we know it doesn't happen like that. Was there one particular experience you had that didn't ever pan out the way you wanted it to, but it turned you onto something even better. Like, so it's not necessarily turning lemons into lemonade, but it maybe put you off on a different tangent and it was a success in being a failure. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so let, let's go over two stories. The first story is uh, when I bought the train station in Charlottesville, Virginia, and started Wild Wing Cafe. Uh, and in uh, 2000, uh, probably three or four, I had to close the place. And um, there were IRS after me, there were vendors after me, and I didn't run. So I need your people to understand that really your vendors are going to be your best friend. And the IRS is not as bad as they say, because when I went to the IRS and they said, uh, you know, well, you owe us $17,000. I said, I understand that. And they're like, where's your attorney? I'm like, I don't need an attorney to tell you I owe you 17,000. The next thing was my vendors. And I went to my vendors and, and I said, what could we do together to help me open this up? We got the right concept. We got the right everything. And they came to my rescue, right? So that was a that was a big, big learning experience. I didn't go off to another tangent, but I became a numbers guy from that point forward. And that allowed me to go to other successful businesses that I started by knowing the numbers. The second thing is, let's fast forward to my new hedge fund that I have. I started going after the end user. The end user is the person who needs money. They're hard to go after since the market is so saturated by brokers. 
Well, I'm not a broker. I actually own the money that I'm lending out. So I, I, uh, I started, um, I, I hired a marketing advertising person to come in and go after the end user. I gave her six months. We put in, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of dollars, but our return on investment was very small. But what I learned from that is I said, wait a second, we have these brokers from around the world or from around the country that are already doing all this advertising. We're trying to break in and beat them. We can't. Why don't we go after the broker? Offer them a great pay. They send us their business. And so now I don't have to go after the end user. I just go after the broker. So instead of going after 200 million people, I go after 50,000 brokers. And once we did that, we turned around on the dime and we had the biggest month we ever had last month. So it's, it's, it's very important to be agile, right? Not to get connected to something and to stay focused, give it a certain time. You said it perfectly. I'm going to do this for a year. I'm going to see what the return on investment is. I'm going to add in how much fun I'm having, how much time I'm spending, maybe go into different little directions, add vertical businesses to that. But um, as you get better in business, you will turn faster and make decisions faster and lose less. You don't have to go through the pain I did with my first failure, which by the way, I did turn that company around and uh, it lasted for 20 years. Uh, it just went out of business um, in, during COVID. It's a shame. They just closed the restaurant, but it did well. Professor, I really want to thank you for coming on the show today. Your uh, insights and advice and experience, invaluable. I know people may have additional questions for you. I will certainly pass those on to you when I get them through uh, through the blog post and through the, uh, the, the newsletter that goes out. So I want to thank you for joining me today. I appreciate your time. I hope you enjoyed yourself, and I hope to have you back when I'm at 152 shows. Nice. Thank you, Scott, and good luck to you.